Um, okay, so welcome back, Mr. Hashem, to a new, uh, a new year of learning. Of course, the idea of Tishrei, and especially the conclusion of Tishrei, being Simcha's Torah, the Simcha with Torah, is uh, first and foremost to rededicate ourselves to learning Torah, learning Torah and applying it and taking it to our lives. And that's exactly what we do. comes the beginning of the month of Cheshvan, and we start over again. And this is, Baruch Hashem, many, many years that we've been learning together. And Hashem should help to be able to continue to learn Torah together um, and have the proper effects on all of us in our homes. Um, over the last years, we did a number of different top topics and subjects. We went through the Parshas of the week and the Yom Tovim. We went through the Siddur and the Tfilais. We went through uh, the Yud Gimel Ikrei and so many other different topics. And we wanted to do something new. So the idea was, and we'll see how it goes, to start uh, with the Nevi'im. And that's something that not only we haven't done in a shir together, but it's actually a shir that I never taught. So it's uh, daunting for me as well, new uh, preparation. But uh, exciting, exciting to start something new. And we're not going to learn the, you know, the Navi step by step from inside, but we'll go through some of the basic um, the sto- stories and the points of discussing these Nevi'im and the Shoiftim, who were there at the, really the uh, most formational parts of Klal Yisrael as soon as we came into Eretz Yisrael. And we'll go in order. We'll start therefore with Yehoshua. As we know, that there is the Chaf Dalid Sifri Kodesh, the 24th form of Tanakh, um, beginning with Chumash, the Chamisha Chumshe Torah. But after the Chumash, we have the 19 books of the Nevi'im, which begin with Yehoshua, Yeshua and Shoftim and so on. So we'll start with the beginning of Yehoshua. Again, we'll go through some of the basic stories, some basic ideas and lessons, and some ideas of Hasidus based on these stories and lessons that we learned in the Nevi'im. One moment. What is that? It's the same Zoom as all my shirim. Is any? Is any shirim? Okay. Um, so, Yehoshua, who of course is the disciple and successor of Moshe Rabbeinu, is also considered the first one of the Shoftim. Right? Moshe Rabbeinu, of course, takes the Eden out of Mitzrayim and leaves them for 40 years in the desert until they're at the brink of coming into Eretz Yisrael. Um, I mentioned already, Yeshua was his foremost Talmud and disciple, as we'll see soon. And after Moshe Rabbeinu passes away, he becomes immediately his successor. And he becomes the list called the Shoftim, the judges of Klal Yisrael, begin with Yeshua. He's called the first Shoftet. And there's going to be altogether 16 of such Shoftim, which we're going to go through in Mirza Hashem. After the 16th Shoftet, we have the first Melech, the first king of the Jewish people. The first um, anointed Melech of Klal Yisrael is going to be Shaul HaMelech. And after Shaul, that's when we already have the Melachim, the kings. We have Shaul and David and Shleiman, and then the kings of Malchibis David, Malchibis Yisrael. But that's already when the Jewish people are led by kings. So really, we have Moshe Rabbeinu, who's in a level all on his own. And then we have the era of the Shoftim about 400 years long, approximately, um, followed by the era of the Melachim, which is the kings, which is another 400 years or so in Eretz Yisrael. But there is about 400 years from when the when, when Klal Yisrael come into Eretz Yisrael until the first king, until Shaul HaMelech. So the first of those Shoftim is Yehoshua. Yehoshua comes from the Shevet of Ephraim. Um, we know that kingdom amongst the Jewish people was typically either from the descendants of Yehuda or from the, from the descendants of Yosef. 
That's where typically all the kings of, of the, or almost all the kings of the Jewish people were either from Yehuda or Yosef. And Yeshua, who's been the first and in many ways uh, the greatest of the Shaftim, so Yeshua himself comes from Ephraim. In fact, all the way back in Chumash, when Yaakov Avinu is going to bless his sons, Menashe and Ephraim, excuse me for a moment, All the way back uh, in Chumash, when uh, Yaakov Avinu is going to bless Ephraim and Menashe, we have the very famous story, and all the children always come home with the uh, hand-switching of Yaakov and Yosef. So there, where Yosef is expecting Yaakov to bless his son Menashe first, or at least give him the um, the precedence of being the older son, and instead Yaakov puts his right hand on Ephraim. And when Yosef tries to switch his father's hands, Yaakov says no. He says, although the older son, Menashe, is great, but Achiv HaKotan Yigdal Mimenu, his younger son, will be even greater than him. And Rashi says he's talking about because Yeshua is going to come from Ephraim. And as Rashi says, that um, in what way is Ephraim the greatest? Sheyanchil as Yisrael, he's the one who's going to Bring Klal Yisrael into Eretz Yisrael. Give them the inheritance of the land. V'yilamit Torah Yisrael. He'll be the teacher of Torah in the place of Moshe Rabbeinu to Klal Yisrael. And then the Pasuk says, Yaakov says, V'zara yihi emeloi ha-goyim. That Ephraim's from descendants will affect all of the nations. And again, Rashi says, this is referring to Yeshua Benun, who all of the nations are going to fear him and fear Hashem through him. So that's so the story of Yeshua already begins way before Yeshua is born. When when um, Yaakov Avinu is blessing his sons and saying that Yeshua is going to come from Ephraim and therefore Yeshua is the greater son. Okay. About Yeshua, the Pasuk says that he was the ultimate Talmud of Moshe Rabbeinu, the ultimate disciple. The Pasuk says after the story of the Egel, when um, Moshe Rabbeinu leaves the encampment of the Jewish people and he makes an oihel, he makes a tent outside of the machane of Klal Yisrael. There the Pasha says that Yeshua never leaves Moshe Rabbeinu's side. The Yeshua binun na'ar, Yeshua binun is young, layomish mitoicha oihel, he never moves from Moshe Rabbeinu's oihel, the ultimate disciple, the ultimate uh, devoted disciple to Moshe Rabbeinu. And that's why we have later when Moshe Rabbeinu sends the Miraglim, famously in Parshas Shlach. Moshe Rabbeinu sends 12 spies to Eretz Yisrael, and one of them is Yehoshua. And it's at that point um, that Moshe Rabbeinu changes his name. His name initially was Hoshea, and Moshe changes it to Yehoshua, adding the Yud with a special bracha, um, saying, Ka Yeshiacham Yatsas HaMiraglim that Hashem should save you from the Eitzah, from the bad advice of the Miraglim. And the Mepharshim asked the question, why did Moshe Rabbeinu daven for Yehoshua more than any of the other Miraglim? After all, he was sending 12 people. Why was Yehoshua Zoyche, why, was he merited, why did he merit the special bracha of Moshe called Yehoshua HaMiyasasa Miraglim? And one of the answers given is because he was such a Talmud of Moshe. He was so connected. To Moshe. He was so um, intertwined. And so, uh, as, as we said, the Pasuk, he never left Moshe Rabbeinu's side. So, therefore, Moshe, there was an automatic special bracha 
from the Rebbe, to, from the Moshe Rabbeinu to his Talmud that held so close, and therefore he gave him that bracha of Kal Yeshiach Um Interestingly, later, when Moshe Rabbeinu was close to, uh, is already uh, almost going to pass away, in the Parshas Pinchas, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu talks to Hashem and he says, Yifkait Hashem Adam al, um, al or Ish al Haida, that Hashem should appoint a, a person over the over the uh, flock, over the uh, over the Jewish people. And Rashi tells us from the Medrash that Moshe Rabbeinu really had he had sons, and when Moshe Rabbeinu asked Hashem to appoint a successor, in Moshe's mind he was thinking about his own sons. But Hashem says no. And Hashem says, of course, uh, Moshe's sons are great, but Hashem used an interesting pasuk, which is Noitzar Te'ena Yoichal Pirya, which literally means the one who guards the um, the figs, the fig tree, will eat its fruit. And Hashem says, Yeshua never left your side. And because Yeshua never left your side, because he was the ultimate disciple to Moshe Rabbeinu, therefore he is going to be the one who is going to succeed Moshe Rabbeinu. And that's what we have even in, in Pirkei Aves, in the first uh, Mishnah of Pirkei Aves, where it says, Moshe Kibel Torah Misinai. The Moshe received the Torah from Sinai, Umesara Yeshua. He gave over the entire Torah to Yeshua, everything the Moshe Rabbeinu knew, everything he gave over to his ultimate Talmud, his ultimate disciple, who was able to receive from him, and that was Yeshua. So, um... Um, Yeshua it says uh, it says Chazal say Pnei Moshe kepnei Chama that the face of Moshe Rabbeinu shone like the sun, or Pnei Yeshua kepnei Levana and Yeshua was like the moon. We know that the moon reflects the rays of the sun and receives the rays of the sun, and Yeshua was the tzaddik that was at the level to be able to receive all of the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu, the Moshe received from Hashem, and therefore he becomes that successor, the ultimate successor to Moshe Rabbeinu. And even during Moshe Rabbeinu's life, he calls in Yeshua, he puts his hands over his head, like he says in Parshas Pinchas, and all the Klal Yisrael see that, and he is appointed to succeed Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, in addition to being this ultimate tzaddik and this ultimate receiver of the entire Torah and teacher of the entire Torah, Yeshua also is going to be the one that's going to bring us into Eretz Yisrael. And in that, he stands alone. He's the one who leads Klal Yisrael into Eretz Yisrael. As we know, that Moshe Rabbeinu was uh, prohibited from, from going into Eretz Yisrael. And right after he passes away, Yeshua is going to be the one that's going to bring them into the land of Eretz Yisrael. But not only bring them there, he's also going to lead all the battles of Klal Yisrael in Eretz Yisrael. We know that in Eretz Yisrael there's 31 nations and there's kingdoms and there's going to be a number of different battles which we're going to discuss as we go through the Sefer of Yeshua. Um, but it's Yeshua who is going to be there and he's going to lead Klal Yisrael in all of the battles and all of the steps that comes to conquering and ultimately dividing Eretz Yisrael amongst the Shvatim. Um, he led Klal Yisrael for 28 years. That was the 28 years when they come into Israel. Again, he starts his leadership as they're going to go in, as we'll see shortly. Um, so he leads them 28 years, and he's going to pass away then at 110 years old in Eretz Yisrael and be buried there in the portion of Ephraim, which is his, his shevet that he comes from. So that's the general overview of this great Navi and Shafet, the first of the Shaftim, the successor of Moshe Rabbeinu, that's Yeshua Binu. Okay. The 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 uh, Navi Yeshua begins 
with the story of going, getting ready to go into Eretz Yisrael. In the last parsha of the Torah, which we just read on Simcha's Torah, Vazay Sabracha, it says how Moshe Rabbeinu passes away. Moshe Rabbeinu passes away. It is on Zion Odor, the seventh day of Odor. After Moshe Rabbeinu passes away, the Pasuk says in Vazay Sabracha that the Jewish people had a 30 day um, mourning period. There's Yisrael, that there was 30 days that Kla Yisrael. Um, mourned for Moshe Rabbeinu, the great and the greatest teacher of Klal Yisrael, Moshe Rabbeinu. So if Moshe passes away on Zion Odor, the 30 days finish Zion Nisan, the seventh day of Nisan. And it's on that day that Hashem comes to Yeshua, and this is how the Sefer Yeshua opens up, and Hashem tells him that, tell the Jewish people they should prepare for three days. Because now in three days, we are going to go over the Yardin. We're going to cross over the Jordan River and ultimately go into Eretz Yisrael. And that's how it starts. Meshav Benin passes away, the 7th of Adar. Now it's a month later. The 30-day mourning period finishes. They're told in three days, we're going to go into Eretz Yisrael. And it's at that point that Hashem tells Yehoshua, he says that you just hold strong with me and you go in the ways of Moshe and the ways of Torah. I will be with you just like I was with Moshe. And there he says actually a very interesting pasuk that's a famous pasuk and people don't realize it comes from Yeshua. Hashem tells Yeshua, that the Sefer Torah should never, um, you should never remove it from your lips. You should always talk the words of Torah. That Torah is meant to be studied and to be to, to toil in the study of Torah day and night. That's a that's a very um, it's a it's a pasuk that's used to tell us that the mitzvah of limud haTorah of Talmud Torah is a constant. A yid is supposed to learn Torah at every possibility, at every opportunity, and that comes from that statement that Hashem tells to Yehoshua at that point. He says, "I want you to hold on strong to the ways of Torah." And you learn Torah always, and in that way I will be with you just like I was with your predecessor, with Meshur Rabbeinu, and the Jewish people will follow you and fear you just as they did to Meshur Rabbeinu. That's all in that opener conversation of Hashem with Yeshua, when he tells the Jewish people, three more days, we're going into Eretz Yisrael. Um, and then, still in the first chapter, Yeshua turns to the two and a half tribes of, of uh, God and Reuven and half Shevet Menashe, who we remember still from the Chumash, that they were the ones who made the whole deal with Meshe Rabbeinu. They're the ones who made a deal that they'll be able to stay outside of Israel for their families if they will lead the conquest into Eretz Yisrael. So now is the time to um, actually make sure that that happens. And we have, again, in the first uh, parak, the first chapter of Yeshua, where Yeshua discusses this with the Bnei God and Bnei Reuven, Chazi Shevet Menashe, who reminds them of that promise that their parents and grandparents, or even they themselves, made with Meshur Rabbeinu, and they enthusiastically agree, and they say, for sure, we are going to lead the charge, we are going to lead Kalal Yisrael into Eretz Yisrael. That is the opener. That's Perik Aleph, um, Short uh, the uh, summary of Perik Aleph, the first chapter of Yeshua. They're getting ready. Hashem is telling them that the next step in three days is that they're going to go into the land of Eretz Yisrael. That's Perik Aleph. In Perik Beis, we have a fascinating story, and that's the story of the Miraglim that Yehoshua sends 
then into the land of Eretz Yisrael. So, just like 40 years earlier, Moshe Rabbeinu sent the 12 Miraglim, one of them being Yehoshua. Now it's now that one didn't work out very well because the Miraglim, the spies came back and they said we won't be able to go into Eretz Yisrael. Now it's 40 years later, fast forward 40 years, all the, um, all the men of the earlier generation have died out. It's time to go into the land of Eretz Yisrael. And Yehoshua now turns around again, and he is going to send Miraglim. However, um, he's not going to send 12 Miraglim. He sends two, two spies. And he doesn't send them like Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu sent them to go check out the entire land and go the length and the breadth of the land. Yeshua just sends them to Yericho. Yericho was called the Lock of Eretz Yisrael. Now, the way that they were going to go into the land is through the city of Yericho. And Yeshua sends to Miraglim. And he sends them specifically to the city of Yericho. And he says, I want you to check out the land. I want you to check out the situation. And if it's ready for us to come and conquer. Now, who are the two Miraglim that Yeshua sends? So the Pasuk actually doesn't say. The Pasuk doesn't say the names um, of the Miraglim. But Chazal tell us that these two Miraglim were Kalev, Kalev ben Yefuna, who was together with Yehoshua in the first set of Miraglim. Right? You'll remember back to Parsha Shlach, there was 12 Miraglim. 10 sinned, 10 failed, 2 held strong. The two that held strong were Yehoshua and Kalev. So now Yehoshua is in the place of Moshe Rabbeinu. Now Yehoshua is the leader. And he's, the first one in Miraglim that he takes is Kalev. The, sec- the second one that he takes is Pinchas, another one of the great Sadikim of the Chumash who we know, Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aaron Akoyin, Pinchas, the grandson of Aaron. And Yeshua chooses him as the second Miragil, the second spy. Um, we, there's even a, a fascinating Chazal, a Medrash, which tells us that, um, as, as we have in, in the story of, uh, so the, basically I'll, I'll I'll go in order. So the spies come to um, the land, the city of Yerichai. They're able to get over the border. And they come into the city of Yerichai. And there they go to a house of a woman named Rochov. And Rochov is a salesperson, a person who has uh, sells things, a, sells, a store. Um, and they're able to get it. They go into the house of Rochov. So then, and Rochov brings them in to the house. And at that point, somehow the king of Yericho gets a message that these two spies came came into the city. So he sends messengers to Rachav's house, where there are spies that came into the city. And Rachav takes them to the roof and hides them and tells the king they were here, but they left. But here the, the Pasik says that she takes them up to the roof, and she hides him on the roof. And here's where the Medrash says, it says she hides him. Weren't there two? There was two men. There was Kalev and there was Pinchas. So why does the Pasuk say that Kalev hid him as if she only hid one of the men? Says the Medrash that one of the men was Pinchas. And Pinchas we know is Eliyohanovi and therefore he has the power of a Malach. And therefore he made himself invisible. So Kalev didn't, so Rachav didn't have to hide Pinchas because he had the power to be invisible. But, uh, but Kalev Seems didn't know that trick, so therefore Rachav hid Kalev. That's how the Medrash explains that expression, Vatitz Um 
Um, but be that as it may, we have over here, it's, in, it's a, the whole story in the uh, Perek Beis, in the second chapter of Yeshua, where um, basically she hides them and then she comes up to the room and she tells them that we know, we all know that Hashem, that, that Hashem is going to um, be, that you're going to be victorious already since the story of Kriyas Yamsuf, everyone knows that the Jewish people are coming into Eretz Yisrael and we're all, uh, and after you conquered Sichon and you conquered Og, it says, No one has any spirit in front of you. Everyone is petrified. And she says, We know that we know that Kal Yisrael is going to be victorious. We know that you're going with Hashem. She has one request for herself and for her family. She actually doesn't talk about herself. She talks about her family. She says, Do base Avi, the home of my parents, and my mother, and my father, my brothers, and my sisters. I'm asking that all of us, our families, should be saved. And the spies, Kalev and Pinchas, promise her that they will be saved. They make a deal with it. They said anyone from her family can come to her home. Her home is going to be speared. Uh, they gave her a, a, red, um, a red thread. And it says, hang the red thread in your window. That will be our sign. Anyone who's in this home, it's our responsibility that they will be speared. That's what they say. And Erech... Rachav lets them out of a window and she sends them into the forest and they hide for a couple of days. They come back to Yeshua and they tell Yeshua everything that they that they saw. And they said, uh, that we see, we know for sure that Hashem gave the entire land into our hands and everyone is fearful before us. Hashem is with us. And that's the story of the second chapter of Yeshua, the story of the spies that Yeshua um, sent. Um, there's a fascinating um, statement in the Gemara, which tells, according to which, Rachav ultimately converted and ultimately married Yehoshua. That's one of those fascinating turns of events. Rachav, who initially is not, not Jewish, and nevertheless she had this very high neshama, it seems, and she converted, she married Yeshua. They had children who were themselves Nevi'im, and Nevi'os, as we'll see later, the descendants that come forth from Rachav and Yehoshua. Now, but here we have an interesting question. Let me give you a little Hasidic angle to what's going on here. And there's an obvious question, which is, why did Yeshua send Miraglim? Um, after all, Yeshua knows firsthand, like no one else, that the first Miraglim was a fiasco. It didn't work out. Terrible uh, disaster. And furthermore, we know that the first Miraglim, Hashem never told Moshe to send. Right? Going back to Parsha Shlach in the Chumash, it says, Shlach Lecha Anashim. Hashem tells Moshe, send for yourself spies and emissaries. Um, so Rashi says, Ladaitcha, Ani Eini Mitzava Oischa. Hashem says, I'm not going to tell you to send spies. If you want, you can send the spies. So Moshe Rabbeinu goes ahead and sends spies, but it doesn't work out. And because of that, an entire generation dies in the desert. And now it's 40 years later. And it's time to go into Eretz Yisrael. And suddenly Yeshua makes the decision, seemingly, to do the same thing all over again. And Baruch Hashem, this time it worked out. But why did he do it? Why did he do it if the first time it so didn't work out? And that's an obvious pshat type of a question. And in Hasidus, there's two different approaches to answer this question. Both of them very powerful, powerful lessons in our Avedis Hashem. One approach is from the Alter Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe in Lukut Yitera. And he says that there's no doubt 
that the miraglim that Yeshua sent were according were based on a tzivui, a commandment of Hashem. Even though the pasuk doesn't say that, the pasuk doesn't say anywhere that Hashem commanded Yeshua to send miraglim. But the Alter Rebbe says that it's obvious, because no way would he have sent them on his own if he saw that the first time it didn't work. It must be that Hashem commanded Yeshua to send Miraglam. That is what the Alter Rebbe writes in Lukute Torah. So that, if so, there's a big difference. The Miraglam of Moshe were not commanded. Shlach Lecha, Ledaitcha. The Miraglam of Moshe, Hashem says, you send, I'm not going to tell you to do so. And that taka didn't work out. And 40 years later, Hashem tells Yeshua, I'm commanding you to send in the Miraglam. That is what the Alter Rebbe says in Lukut Torah, which answers the question, but begs another question, which is, so why is it that Moshe's Miraglam was, was without a commandment? And Yeshua's miraglim was with a commandment. Why did Hashem change the procedure? And more importantly, in our Avodah, what's the difference between the miraglim that Moshe sends, that what do they represent, and they're without a tzivu, without a commandment of Hashem, versus the miraglim that Yeshua sends, that are with a tzivu, with a commandment of Hashem. And the way the Rebbe explains it in a mimer, and I want to say it in short, he says the following. He says, in our Avodah, the concept of conquering Eretz Yisrael, the concept of Miraglim, is all about conquering ourselves, our own, um, the parts of us that are not holy, and making ourselves holy. That's Just like you conquer Eretz Yisrael, you're taking a land which is not holy, and the people there were very, very immoral, and so on, and you make it Eretz Yisrael, you make it a place of holiness. So on an internal level, as we have the Hasidic phrase, Mach Da Eretz Yisrael, that a person has to conquer and make from themselves and their own homes and their own places also a place of Kedusha. Now, when it comes to creating a place of Kedusha, there are certain parts of ourselves that were commanded to be holy. And there are certain things that we're not commanded to, but it's something that nevertheless we try to work on. And that's, in general, the difference between basic mitzvahs. The basic mitzvah, the Torah mitzvahs that we have to do with our machshava, dibur, maisa, our thought, speech, and deed, that's a mitzvah, that's a commandment. And Hashem says, we have to conquer, so to speak, those you know, negative, those avarious and those negative tendencies, those forbidden tendencies, and we have to conquer ourselves and make ourselves an Eretz Yisrael, and that's the commandment part of the story. But then there is certain parts of ourselves that most of us spend our life working on, but it's not an obligation. Like, it's not an obligation that, uh, for example, a tzaddik, a tzaddik doesn't have any negative desires, and doesn't have any um, worldly feelings, it's all kedusha, kedusha, kedusha. Most of us are not that way. Right? There's so much of us that it's just, it's not, a, it's not a chiyuv, it's not a commandment. It's just being more refined and more holy and more spiritual. And that's an ongoing effort. But it's not a chiyuv, it's not a commandment. And the Rebbe says that that's the difference between the Moshe type miraglim and the Yeshua type miraglim. There is the miraglim, there is the, the mitzvah miraglim, that's Yeshua, 
where Yeshua, Yeshua that represents, where Hashem is telling us that there is the parts of our life that is a chiyuv, that there's a tzivui, there's a commandment from Hashem that we have to elevate and that we have to change, and mitzvahs that we have to do, and averis that we're not allowed to do. That's the chiyuv part of making Eretz Yisrael out of ourselves and our homes and our families. But there is the parts that's not a commandment. It's an ongoing effort to become better and become more refined and become more spiritual. And that is what Moshe's Miraglim represented. So in short, and I'll finish this, this explanation, in short, there's two types of commandments here of scouting out and conquering our, ourselves and our environments for Hashem. There is the Chiyuv, the tzivoy, the commandment, and that's Yeshua's type of miraglim. And then there is that which is not a tzivoy, but rather something that's something that's meant to work on step by step, slowly, um, and everyone according to their abilities. And it's important uh, many times to know the difference between what is a tzivoy and what's not a tzivoy. What is a commandment? What's a um, an obligation? And what's an area that's meant to work on? It's important for us to know, especially important when we're when we're dealing with someone else or in education, to know what's a chiyuv and what's not a chiyuv, what's a tzivui, what's not a tzivui. Both are important and they're represented by these two types of miraglim of Moshe and Yehoshua. All of that is explanation number one. But now I want to share with you explanation number two. And it's important when you're thinking about two, not to think about one, because they're very different, and they can be confusing. So, again, the question is, why did Yeshua send Miraglim if the first ones didn't work out? Right? So the first answer was, well, here there was a mitzvah, here there was a tzivui. That's the first approach. But the second approach says, no, there was no tzivui, even by Yeshua's Miraglim. After all, if you look into the words of the Navi, there is no tzivui, there is no commandment, even by the miraglim of Yeshua. It just says Yeshua sent to miraglim, he sent two spies. Says the Rebbe, and he spoke about it in, in, in a sicha in 1989 it was, and he says the Rebbe, according to Pshat, Yeshua also didn't have a tzivui. There was no commandment. If so, if Yeshua didn't have a tzivui, why did he do it? After all, the first time around 40 years ago, it didn't work out. It was a disaster. And Moshe Rabbeinu did it on his own. He came to Hashem and said, should I do it? Hashem says, if you want. And it didn't work. Why then would Yehoshua do it again? And the Rabbi then said, what's a very powerful message and explanation. He said the following. When, when Hashem tells Moshe, I'm not telling you what to do. Do it on your own. Make your own decisions. What Hashem was saying is that ultimately it's important that we don't only do what we're commanded to, but that we use our own seichel, we use our own understanding to make decisions, make correct decisions, and do what Hashem wants us to. There's two steps in education when we educate children, or when we are educated as people. One is when we're told what to do. When a child is very young, we tell the child, do this and don't do that. Do this and don't do that. But all of us hope that the child will reach a place and a level where they don't need to be told what to do. And they're able to make their own decisions, not only when they're commanded exactly, do this and don't do that. 
So when Moshe comes to Hashem and says, Hashem, should I send spies? And Hashem says, it's up to you. Do the way you understand. And it didn't work. It didn't work out. The spies, Moshe's spies didn't work out. So one approach is, well, see, if, if, the, if it didn't work out, that means we only do what, a, what when there's a commandment. We only follow commandments. We're not meant to use our own mind and do things based on our understanding because, you see, if we don't have a commandment, it doesn't work. Says the Rebbe, that's a mistake. Yeshua understood that's a mistake. Even though the first time around it didn't work out when they used their own seichel, it doesn't mean that we're not meant to use our own seichel. Yeshua understood that the way we're going to conquer Eretz Yisrael and the way we're going to fulfill Hashem's um, Ratzin, will in Eretz Yisrael, is not by waiting for a commandment, but by using our own minds and making our own decisions and doing things in a way that makes sense. That's a little more dangerous, and therefore there's room for a mistake, and a mistake happened the first time around. But Yeshua didn't take that as a message that from now on we're not supposed to use our own seichel and make our own decisions. We made a mistake, we'll try again until we get it right. And therefore, says the Rebbe, that's the message of Yeshua, who even it was 40 years after the first set of Miraglim didn't work out. And yet he wasn't afraid of trying again. Sometimes after something doesn't work out, we're afraid of trying it again. The message of Yeshua is no. We're supposed to try. We're supposed to try again. And if it didn't work out, we're going to try again until we get it right. And that's exactly what he does. And that's the second set of miraglim that Yeshua sends over here in the uh, second parak of Yeshua. And as we said, this time it did work out and it worked out very well. These two miraglim, Kolev and Pinchas, come back and their mission is accomplished and they come and they say that yes, we are ready to conquer Eretz Yisrael. That is from Perak Beis of Yeshua. Let's do a little bit for, further. Let's go into Perak Gimel, chapter 3. In chapter 3, it's the end of the three days, right? Because Meshach Rabbeinu passed away. I'm sorry, there was 30 days of mourning, and then Hashem says, in three days, we're going to go into, we're going to go and cross over the Yardin. And now we have one of the great Nisan, one of the great miracles of the history of the Jewish people, one of the great miracles of the Torah. Um, perhaps when we think of the greatest miracles that we know of in the Torah, the first thing that comes to mind is Kriyas Yamsuf. But just like there was a Kriyas Yamsuf, 40 years later, there was the splitting of the Yardin. And that happens right here in the third parak of Yehoshua. And Hashem tells Yehoshua, He says, Tell all the people, Hiskadoshu, prepare themselves, Ki Machar, because tomorrow Hashem will do for you Niflois. You're going to see wonders. And you have to remember, um, the vast majority of these people did not see the splitting of the Yams of 40 years earlier, because, again, most of the men had died since then. And Hashem prepares them. He says, tomorrow you're going to see one of the greatest miracles. And he says that the way it's going to happen is that the Koyhanim should carry the Orin, should carry the Orin, which, which is the Ark, which had the Luchas in it, which, by the way, is very unusual, because the ones who normally always carried the Orin when the Jewish people traveled was the Levim, right? The Shevet Levi. We know the Shevet Levi itself was made up of the three families, Gershon, Kahas, and Mirari. And the ones who typically carried the Orin was Shevet Levi, Kahas, the family of Kahas. But 
for this unique circumstance, it really happened three times in history, but now we're just going to talk about this time, that for this circumstance of the great nace of the splitting of the Yardin, Hashem says, I want that the Koyhanim should be the ones who should carry the Orin, and they should walk, they should go in front of the entire, entire encampment of Bnei Yisrael. And, there, and through them, the nace is going to happen. And then Hashem says that this nace, he tells Yehoshua, that this nace is going to be the nace that's going to bring, that Kalal Yisrael should believe in you and fear in you just like they believed and feared in Moshe Rabbeinu. When the entire Kalal Yisrael is going to see that just like Hashem split a sea from Moshe Rabbeinu, in the same way He's going to split the Yardin, in the same miraculous way for Yeshua, that's going to bring the true emuna in Yeshua just like it was in Moshe. And Hashem says this will also give the Jewish people the necessary emuna that they will be able to go into Eretz Yisrael and conquer the entire land, which was something that there was still some level of fear of. And Hashem says that this extraordinary miracle is going to be the sign for Klal Yisrael that miraculously they will be able to overcome whatever stands in their path in Eretz Yisrael. The puzzle goes on to describe how the nest actually happened. That is that those Kohanim that were carrying the Oren, they walked to the um, to the uh, to the shore of the of the Yardin, and they took one step into the Yardin. When when the, when Klal Yisrael forty years ago went to the Yamsuf, so we know it was Nachshon ben Aminadav. He jumped into the water. He didn't know what was going to happen, and he went down till his neck. And then that's when the water parted. Here it worked differently. You had the Kohenim, and the Kohenim were carrying the Oren, and they together those Kohenim. I don't. Recall that it says how many were actually carrying the Oren. was four or eight, I don't remember. But they took one step into the Yardin, and the Yardin is a river. So it's flowing downward. It stopped flowing. It stopped right where they were where they were standing, and the water just kept on building itself up like a huge wall, getting taller and taller and taller. It stopped flowing. And the Koyanim stopped there, and all of Kalal Yisrael passed in front of them, and the entire class, so men, women, and children, we're talking about millions of people, and all of them crossed through the Yardin and the Koyanim, they're all passing the Koyanim, we're standing there with the Oren, um, with the Oren, and they're standing there until the very last of the Jewish people cross all the way till the other end of the Yardin. Um, and it's at this point that Hashem tells Yeshua another interesting mitzvah, and He says, I want you to take 12 men, 12 strong men, and each of them should go and pick up one huge stone that's at the bottom of the Yardin, at the bottom of the Jordan River, which is now dry, near where the Koyanim are standing. And they should take those 12 stones and take them with you. And later, when you reach your destination, they should make a, like a, a mizbeach of those 12 stones, and that will be a, a, a symbol for generations to come. People will see these 12 stones, they'll ask where they came from. It says that will be a symbol, a zikarein, a zecher, for this tremendous nace of the, of the, of the splitting of the Yardin. And so, Hashem, so Yeshua does that, he does the 12 people, and they take the stones and they bring them, and they're going to bring them into Gilgal, as we see later when they get to Gilgal, and they're going to erect a mizbeach over there. And then the Pasuk says that there was an additional 12 stones that Yeshua takes and he puts it down there on the floor of the Yardin in the place where the nace happened. And the Pasuk says, Until this day, and I don't know if archaeologists, archaeologists ever found this in the bottom of the Yardin, but the Pasuk says, That forever there's going to be 12 stones over there on the bottom of the Yardin 
in the place where the Kayanim stood when they carried the Orin and the Yardin split for them. And finally, okay, so now, now all the Jewish people are on the other side of the Yardin and the Kayanim are still standing with the Orin just one step into the Yardin. Right, because they just took one step into the water. Klal Yisrael passes in front of them and crosses the Yardin. So now the entire Klal Yisrael is on the second side of the Yardin, and those few Kayanim are standing there with the Orin. And Hashem tells Yeshua, tell them to take one step back. And that's what they do. So the Kayanim who are carrying the Orin, who had taken one step into the Yardin, now take a step backward out of the Yardin, and immediately all that water that's been building, that huge wall of water that's building comes crashing down, and the Yardin just now flows, is that, it, is that it's full, flowing, uh, you know, the, the, the water's flowing fully. So really what you have now is that the Arun and those few Kayanim are on one side of the Yardin, and the rest of the Jewish people have crossed, Right? Because remember, they never crossed. The Kayanim never crossed. They went one step in. Everyone crossed in front of them. The Kayanim took one step back. They're on the other side. Says the Pasik, at this point now, they take the Oren on their shoulders, but instead of them carrying the Oren, they get a little trip. The Kayan the Oren carries them, and that group of Kayanim with the Oren, they go over the Yardin in the ear. And the, as the Gemara says, this is the one time where the you know the the Oren carried the ones who seemingly were carrying the Oren. In general, the Kayanim were carrying the Oren. At this point, the, Kay, the Oren lifts them up and carries them over the Yardin. Many times, when we think we're carrying something, we're holding something, really we're being held by that which we think we're carrying them. Um, it's, it's written about Shabbos. They, I'm sorry? Was it Yeshua who got carried too? Or just the Kohanim? The, the Kohanim. It doesn't say Yeshua. So what happened to, oh, Yeshua went through first. Okay. It's a good question. I know the Pasuk doesn't say clearly. That's an interesting question. You know what, Blineda, I'll look into it to see if it says somewhere in the Medrash where he was. But in the Pasuk doesn't talk about Yeshua. It says all the Jewish people went through, Kayanim took a step back, and then they carry, they were carried over the Yardin with the Urin. In fact, many, many years later, um, there's a story with David HaMelech and Uzzah, where the Urin was being carried by um the wagon and the urn looked like it was slipping and someone put his hands to, to hold the urn and that person was punished for it for trying to hold the urn because and the Pasuk says or David Amala says you think that you're going to hold the urn the urn holds the people it doesn't need us to hold it the urn is safe and that's the story of how the urn carried the Kayanim over to the other side of the Yardin and then the Klai Yisrael moved on into their next step which is to Gilgal which we'll talk about next week in Mirza Hashem I'll finish with one point, which is what we find interesting here is that this tremendous miracle of the splitting of the Yardin. Forty years earlier, there was the splitting of the Yamsuf when we left Mitzrayim. Now there's the splitting of the Yardin. Um, when Mashiach will come, um, very speedily, Emir Hashem, there again it says that there will be a splitting of a body of water. It says, Veheirim Yodai, that Mashiach will raise his hand over the Nahar, over the river. And that's talking about the Nahar Pras, the Euphrates River. Vehikohu Lishiva Nechalim, that the river will be split into seven sections and will pass through that river. And here we have an interesting, 
almost it's, because, it's some type of a, a Torah habit of miracles, that the great miracle is about a splitting of a body of water. And that seems to be happening. And if we think about it, it's happening at three very, very special times in the history of Klal Yisrael, always before something tremendous. Right? Kriyas Yamsuf is right before Matan Torah. The, the, the uh, splitting of the Yarden is before we come into the land of Eretz Yisrael. And then when we're coming to Mashiach, again, the splitting of waters. There's got to be something about the splitting of waters that this becomes the nest, the miracle that precedes all of these tremendous um, experiences. And Hasidus has a lot to say on the subject, but the, in, a, in, in a nutshell, the basic idea is that splitting of the waters represents that that which is normally concealed comes out in full revelation. And that's why it's always the precedent to a tremendous revelation. We know that everything in Gashmi is everything physical that happens is only a mirror, a reflection of what spiritually is about to happen in the world. So whenever there's going to be this new tremendous level of divine revelation, the miracle that precedes it is one that reflects also um, the revelation of that which is normally concealed. So therefore, before the giving of Torah, the Yamsuf is split. Before coming into Eretz Yisrael, the great the, uh, the Yisrael, which is ultimately going to be the building of the Beis Hamikdash, the Yardin is split, and before Mashiach, to come the of Mamash, we have again the splitting of the seas. Each each body of water represents something different. Each is a different level of revelation, which we're not going to get into. But that is why it's always this nace that's the one that precedes these tremendous um, nisim and revelations in our history. Well, where does it say that the Euphrates will 